Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 20. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But I urge you, brethren, to bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. Greet all of your leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the enormous and precious promise that is given to us, the blessing that is pronounced over us in these verses that we just read. Father, we ask you to open the eyes of our heart to comprehend, to receive. I pray that your fire would fall from heaven upon us, Lord. I ask, God, that you would work by the power of your Spirit. We thank you, God, for the anointing of your Spirit in each one of us who know Christ. We thank you, God, for your ability to, to teach us and open our heart to receive things from your word and to see wonderful things in your word. And we ask God that that would happen this morning. And Lord, you had a purpose for inspiring the writer of Hebrews to write these things that we just read about. And God, I ask you in the name of Jesus that every purpose for which this was written and inspired by the Holy Spirit would be accomplished in our lives individually and in this church. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 has been called the most complete and the most powerful blessing in all of Scripture. This blessing is meant as a deep encouragement to you. It is also a prayer. May the God of peace do this. What great comfort I personally have received praying Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. When I've been burdened about being a more effective elder or felt a deep desire to do more for God and felt so inadequate to do that. I have so often turned to God and say, God, equip me. Work in me everything that would please you. And that prayer gets my eyes off of myself and onto God and his power and it brings such encouragement. This verse is it's a blessing. It is a prayer. It is also a promise. It is, it is a statement of factual reality for all who know Christ. God himself is working inside of you and me. Empowering us to please him and to do his will in everything. This is an absolutely astonishing truth. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would, would, would stun us this morning with his truth. I, I pray that we would 
go, go home stunned by the wonder and the, the, the beauty of this, this blessing. For anyone who truly wants to do God's will, this is glorious news. Uh, for any who keenly feels their own lack of goodness and power and holiness, this is the best news ever. It is because of this divine power working in us that John says his commandments are not burdensome. Every one of us is called to a life that is so loving, so selfless, so good, and so holy that it requires supernatural power. It requires the supernatural power of God at work in our hearts to live it. Uh, let me read for you just a few commands for Christians in the New Testament. See if you don't agree with me. Love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you and persecute you. Forgive those who sin against you. Or how about this one? Go and make disciples of all nations. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, should submit to their husbands in everything. Honor one another above yourselves. Never, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. These are good commands. They're wonderful commands. But if the gospel consisted only of commands, the Christian life would be an unbearable, an unbearable burden of laws. It would be an impossible life to live. Unfortunately, many people grow up in churches where the, where the main thing they hear is do more, give more, witness more, pray more, read more, sacrifice more, work harder. And they hear the same thing Sunday after Sunday. But it is law without life. It is simply preaching a very high standard of morality. There's, there's little emphasis on the safe and happy and peaceful status that we have with God through Jesus. And there's even less emphasis on the inward power of God working in us, renewing, prompting, and empowering us to live for him. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not merely commands. It can't be. The gospel begins with life. John 21, 31. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Laws and commands, no matter how good, cannot replace our need for the life of Jesus dwelling in us. Charles Simeon, uh, a 19th century commentator, and by the way, all the commentators I quote here are probably from the 19th century, so I won't say that again. In addition, this is, this is a really good quote. Some of these old guys really had great quotes. 
in addition to holy principles instilled into our minds, there must be powerful energies imparted to our souls. Thank God there is. And that's what this verse declares over us today. Through faith in Christ, before we do anything, our sins are forgiven. We have peace with God. We are made sons of God. We are given access to the throne of God. And the Spirit of God is poured out into our hearts. All this we are given, not by working, not by keeping commands or law, but by faith in Jesus' name. As Paul said to the Galatians, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? The obvious answer is that the Holy Spirit was freely given before any work was done. Then because of the Holy Spirit being sent into our hearts, because of this new life in us, we are strengthened by God to gladly do the things the Scripture tells us to do. That is the life we are called to. That is the normal Christian life. If our, if our understanding of the gospel is right, if our hearts are adjusted to God properly, that is how it works. Adolf Sapphire said, the cup of cold water given to a disciple, the gift of gratitude and kindness sent to someone, the word spoken to the afflicted, the affection and training given to our children, our disciplined walk in the home and in the world, faithfulness and diligence in our daily lives. All this is begun in us and carried out by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit, and it is well-pleasing to Him. With God equipping us and working in us, it is not only possible to live a God-pleasing life, it is the way that we want to live and have the capacity to live and the way we must live. We're compelled to. Really leaves us no other choice. If we are born of God, and, and li listen carefully to this, because I, I think it's really important. And I think it's a direct application of this, this passage. If we are born of God, we never should say, I cannot love that person. I cannot forgive them. I cannot trust God in this situation. I cannot stop worrying. I cannot be strong. I cannot give generously. I cannot devote myself to the family of God. I cannot be faithful. I cannot stop doing this harmful and sinful habit. All that kind of talk is a direct denial of, of what we just read in Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. This is anti-gospel talk. It's, it's anti-gospel thinking. And we need to see it as that. And we need, we need, to, see, we need to see the how... How, how bad that kind of talk and thinking is. It is, is it, it is an offense to the grace of God. It is an offense to the Holy Spirit in us to talk this way. Peter said, 
His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. I mean, that's how we're supposed to talk. That's how we're supposed to think. That's how we, that's how we come at life. We came into this world with a bent toward going our own way instead of God's way. We were flawed, fallen, and broken. And we've all experienced the miserable effects of being dead in our trespasses and sins. But God himself raised us up. God himself is the full answer to all that is wrong with us. Through Jesus, our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And then we are given a new heart to love God and to gladly obey him and desire to please him. And we're given the equipping or the ability to do that. God is moving inside of us. God is working inside of us. That's what this, this verse says. He's giving us new impulses and abilities, changing our ambitions and motives, our affections, to please and glorify Him. F.B. Meyer said, and before I read this, again, this is from the 19th century, and some of the examples might, might tell that or reveal that, but what he says is so good, so I, I, I appeal to you to kind of wade through this with me. God working in you, God working in you is a marvelous expression. We know how steam works mightily within the cylinder, forcing up and down the massive piston. I'm sure he had in mind the, the old steam locomotives that day. We know how sap works mightily within the branches, forcing itself out in bud and leaf and blossom. We read of men and women so possessed of devils that they spoke and acted as the inward promptings led them. These are only poor examples of the truth of this text, which towers infinitely beyond these. But have we not all been conscious of some of these workings in us? We have known them when the breath of holy resolution has swept through our hearts. Or we have conceived some noble purpose. Or we have been compelled to some deed of self-sacrifice for others. Every sigh for a better life. Every strong and earnest resolution every determination to leave the nets and fishing boats to follow Jesus, every appetite for fellowship, every aspiration for heavenly things, all these are the result of God's working in us. How careful, he concludes by saying this, how careful we should be to gather up every divine impulse and translate it into action. Amen? Notice that God e equips us. Although God equips us, we are the ones who do his will. He equips us to do his will. God doesn't go serve in the Sunday school. 
at least not directly. He moves and works in your heart and gives you a love for the souls of our kids and stirs you up to serve. God doesn't dial the phone to make that call that you need to make. He works by placing love and concern in you to make that call. He stirs up generosity in your heart and you write the check to the church or to a person in need or whoever God is speaking to you about. God won't change the channel on the TV for you. He won't shut the TV off for you. He moves in your heart to hate uncleanness and evil and you operate the remote. He equips us in every good thing to do his will. And I love that phrase and that's one of the reasons I read this out of the American Standard uh, is that he equips us in every good thing to do his will. We just read this week those that are doing the uh, same page or whatever they call the scripture reading program. Uh, Peter said, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. He's not talking about when you go to see Jesus. He's talking about right now. We emphasize so much sometimes that we will never be perfect until Christ comes that we disregard the high calling of God for this life. God is, he's, he's calling us in every good thing to do his will. That's our goal. That's what we seek for. Again, Charles Simeon said, he would have us engage in every good work of whatever kind it be without regarding either the difficulty of performing it or the danger to which the performance of it may expose us. I don't know, I thought that was pretty good. Amen, you know. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not saying, oh, that's, that's too difficult or, or that's too danger, dangerous. Whatever God calls us to, to every good work, we go do it because he's at work in us, equipping us to do it. Verse 21 says that God works in us and equips us through Jesus. It is through this life-giving connection with Jesus that that fruit is produced in our lives and, and we begin to love God and to love people. We begin to lay down our lives for, for others. We, we put away sin and anger and bitterness and complaining and we develop hearts overflowing with gratitude and praise. All of this is being worked in us through Jesus. I mean, if you want, if you want to know what God is working in your life, it's pretty well laid out for us. God is at work doing that kind of thing, that kind of work in your life. And then in, in verse uh, 20, he is called the great shepherd of the sheep. Peter calls him the shepherd of our souls. I love that expression. Jesus is the shepherd of your soul. He's the shepherd of your heart, of your thoughts, of your mind, of your inmost feelings and desires, your will. Jesus is actively, he is active in shepherding 
you and what's going on inside of you. And that, that's where we live life. We live life really on the inside. And Jesus is the shepherd of our souls. Working in our innermost being to make us pleasing to God. Now I want to go back to the beginning of this verse and what we are told about this God who is working in us. And this is a really important build-up that we are given in this verse to give us great confidence and assurance that this God who is at work in us is, is able to transform us and do what needs to be done in our lives. First, he is the God of peace. May the God of peace himself equip you. Many times in the Bible, he is called the God of peace, especially in the New Testament. In the Bible, he is also called the God of hope, the God of love. He is called the God of all comfort. And in our memory text, he is called the God of endurance and encouragement. He is the source and giver of these qualities. Whatever you need, whether it's peace or love or comfort or endurance or encouragement, God is the source and giver of these things. All of these things flow out from God. He is able to impart these qualities to us. 2 Thessalonians uh, 3.16 communicates this so well. Now may the God of peace, or may the Lord of peace himself, give you peace at all times and in every way. What a beautiful verse. First and foremost, God brings us into peace with himself through Jesus. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He took us from a state of enmity or hostility and has welcomed us as his friends. God also gives us inward peace and that's, that's what the, the verse was talking about in Second uh, Thessalonians 3.16. He is not the God of anxiety. He is not the God of fear or of insecurity. He is working peace into your heart and your life. Jeremiah 20, 29.11, which I think every Christian has heard over and over again, in some of the versions... And, and I know it's in the King James, New, New King James says, For I know the plans that I have for you, plans for peace and not for evil. I know most later versions or translations say plans for welfare. The word is shalom. I know the plans that I have for you, plans for shalom, which means Peace. The word shalom means peace. But it, it also does mean, mean wholeness or includes the idea of welfare or well-being or prosperity of soul. And that's why uh, a lot of the translations translate it plans for welfare. John Brown said, peace in biblical thought is something far more than serenity. 
It denotes the entire quality of salvation God is able to give to his people. God is working shalom into your soul. He's working peace and a sense of well-being and this deep sense of well-being of knowing that you're right with God and at peace with God. God is working peace into your soul even through marriage problems or family problems or work problems even through experiences of mistreatment and misunderstanding through all circumstances God is at work creating peace in you because he is the God of peace he is the life giving God he brought up from the dead he's the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep this assures us that his amazing power is available to give life to us. He raised up Jesus. He'll raise you up too. Romans 8.11 He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. You can trust him every day in every situation to raise you up by his spirit to equip you for the day for the day ahead equip you to, to do everything that is pleasing in his sight it's amazing amazing and wonderful promise you know we we don't we never have to feel adequate in ourselves we just we we turn we turn we turn to god and the god the god who raised christ from the dead is the same God who is raising us to life by his spirit who lives in us. Your besetting sin or stubborn habits are not too great for him. Nothing is too difficult for God. He has the power to change the addict, the depressed, the disobedient, the proud, the selfish, the angry, the bitter. There's no sin, no darkness, no habit, no thought pattern from your past that God is not able to transform. The answer to our, to our sin, our inward neediness and struggles is ultimately not in digging into our past or our parents' faults or all the pain in our lives, the past pain in our lives, those things are real and they really hurt. But the wholeness and freedom and transformation that we desperately need is found in the mighty working of God. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's what we need to transform us. Nothing less than that will do the job. And it's just so futile to look in other places for the inward help that we need for our souls. Paul said, I pray that you may understand what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians chapter 1, 19, 20. 
That's the power that you need to solve your life. And that's the power I need to solve my life. Thank God it's nothing less than the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He is the God who has committed himself to us forever through the blood of Jesus. This passage references by the, the blood of the eternal covenant. We are reminded of this every time we partake of the Lord's Supper. Jesus said this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The old covenant was temporary. The new covenant is eternal. And it's, it's paid for. Paid for eternally by the blood of Christ. The old covenant was temporary. The new is eternal. God has committed himself to you in an eternal loving bond through the blood of Jesus. This is the God who is working in you. And then verse 21 concludes with an outburst of praise to, Jesus, to him or to Jesus be all glory forever and ever. God is working in us through him through Jesus to him be all glory forever and ever this this verse that we have just been contemplating this morning and I'm seeking the, to the very best of my ability in the power of the Holy Spirit to to convey the the wonder of it and and the greatness and the beauty of it to you this morning the blessing that we've just read and talked about this morning demands a response of praise it calls forth praise it calls forth a life of praise and if if we're not praising if we're not living a life of praise somehow we are not letting these truths reach our heart and we either need to be born again or we need God to do a great work in our heart to wake us up and to see these and to appreciate them. Revelation 1, 5, and 6 says to him, and this again it's referring to Jesus, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. amen. And if we are born of God, we say amen to this. If our lives have been touched by his love, if we have known the release of our sins, if we comprehend even a little bit our status as priests to God, if the Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts, then the deepest desire of our hearts is that all glory be given to Jesus Christ in heaven and earth forever and ever. And may God give us a burning desire for his glory. May God give us a passion for the glory of Jesus Christ. And may this be our prayer and the goal of our lives 
and the thing that consumes our thinking daily. The book of Hebrews ends with a final admonition, which I want to just touch on deeply because I think it's an important warning, I'll call it. And it actually ties into everything that we've been talking about this morning, and I'll show you how. And I want to, the, the, the sentence or the phrase that I want to bring to your attention is, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, bear with my word of exhortation. Okay, after he's gotten all the way done through this, this book, the writer senses the danger that people will not tolerate or put up with the teaching that he has given, that he has set forth in this book of Hebrews. And just to remind you, I'm going to go over several of them. Teaching such as, he, where, where he says, bear with my word of exhortation. I think he had in mind all of his exhortations throughout out the book of, of Hebrews. We're not going to cover everyone by any means, but do not neglect your salvation. We do not want you to become sluggish or lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit, inherit what has been promised. Let us go on to maturity. Let us not shrink back. Let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Hold fast your confidence firm to the end. Do not forsake assembling together as is the habit of some. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Let us go to Jesus outside the city gate bearing his shame or reproach. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Are you tolerating? Are you bearing with those exhortations? Or are you kind of, are you kind of resisting them? Are you embracing all these words that we've received throughout the book of Hebrews. And our scripture this morning gives even greater reason to embrace these exhortations and to be encouraged that we can keep them because these are the very things that God himself is working in us, equipping us to do them because they are the things that please him. All right, we're going to end this morning with four brief applications. And I, 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 there's four words uh, that came to my mind that, that I just feel like really capture our response. Number one, the first word is believe. Believe God is working in you. That's a huge hurdle for a lot of people. They don't really believe it. You must actually believe that God is working in you, equipping you to do his will, just like this verse says. You know, before Jesus healed two, two blind men, he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you believe that I'm able to make you well? They said, yes, Lord. And then, do you know what Jesus said? Be it done to you according to your faith. The power of God is loosed in our lives 
as we believe. God is working. He is equipping. God is there. But as you believe, you, you experience, you know this in your personal and daily lives and you rejoice in it. Second word, expect. First, believe. Second, expect. Expect to experience the activity of God inside of you. Paul said, it is my eager or my earnest expectation and hope that Christ will be honored in my body. Expect God to be at work in you. Expect to experience him lifting up Christ, transforming you, strengthening you with his power and new life. The third word is see or become aware of his working in you. God does not make us robots. We have to look to him, looking to Jesus. We have to look to him and listen for him and become aware of his touch on our hearts. Paul said in Ephesians, Awake, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. I mean, there's, there's a sense in which we, we just need to wake up and become aware. We need to see and become aware that God is at work in us. And fourth, respond. Because God is at work in us, respond to Him working in you. As in that previous quote by F.B. Meyer, it ended with this comment. How careful we should be to gather up every divine impulse and translate it into action. I love the old spiritual. Every time I feel the Spirit, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Okay? And it's not only prayer that the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart to do. It's, he's, equip, he's working in you. He's moving in you to equip you in every good thing to do God's will. And we just, we, but we come with that, that heart, that attitude. Every time I feel the Spirit moving in me, I'm going to respond. I'm going to respond. Let's pray. Let's stand and pray.